From Mountain Home to Raft River, we've got all the District 4 analysis you'll need to know. This is the Magic Valley PrepCast with Scott Burton. That's right. It is another edition of the Magic Valley PrepCast, your breakdown for everything going on in District 4 in the state of Idaho here on IdahoSports.com. Brandon Bainey and the evil boss who's going to do the dramatic spin around in the chair. <laughs> Scott Burton. What's going on, Scott? Oh, not much. You know, just hanging out. Just uh, getting ready to do a podcast. Uh, what is this? <laughs> oh, how, how did that get there? I mean, have you seen this before? No. Where did you get that abomination? <laughs> well, I hear they are selling this at uh, SoFi in February um, with the Lombardi Trophy. I, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> yeah. So for those of you watching the video on the IdahoSports.com YouTube channel or Facebook page, Scott had a real shiny looking uh, Los Angeles Rams football helmet. Uh, they, of course, are playing in the NFC Championship game on Saturday. No, Sunday against the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers, sorry. When, when was the last time the Rams actually beat the Niners? Okay, it was four years ago. But you know what? We're due. Law of averages suggest that chances are good this weekend. Something has to give. We're owing our, for our last six. Yes, it's quite a streak. <laughs> yeah, it is. The f- losing to your hated arch rival for the third time, and then they get to play in the Super Bowl at your home stadium. Boy, that'd really burn you, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, that better not be any kind of foreshadowing going on right there, because uh, I have a, I, I would, not, I would have nightmares for weeks. I'll tell you, the the listeners and viewers are lucky. I decided to crawl out of my hole this week because I am a Green Bay Packers fan, and that was like, oh, devastating. Yeah. Uh, you know what? This is the first year, actually, since '09 that the conference championship games in football have not featured an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady. Weird, huh? Fun fact. And for all of the great quarterbacking that Green Bay has had with Favre and Rodgers over the course of, you know, 50 years, <laughs> two rings. It sucks. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> and here... And here we thought COVID was the sign of the apocalypse. No, no, no. It's it's no Rodgers or Brady in, in the yeah. final four. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that is onto something right there. Feels a little bit weird, but you know, you look at these matchups, and uh, can you imagine if it were a Bengals and 49ers matchup? I mean, it, it would go right back to you know 1989, where Montana let him down the field, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, look at the markets of those teams. The NFL has got to be just going. That can't happen. That cannot happen. They have they are screaming for a Chiefs Rams Super Bowl. Yes, they they certainly are. Got to get there first. A lot of good football coming up this weekend. Rams 49ers, a pretty good matchup. But I'll do you one better, Scott. Minico Jerome. That's a pretty good match. That's a pretty good oh, rivalry too. So the segue, well played, my friend. <laughs> I mean, we talked about this last week because of uh, the winter storms that persist in uh, the state of Idaho, the schedule has really gotten jumbled up to the point where Jerome played Minico last, what was that, Thursday? And then they, they turned around and played again on Monday night, too. They played each other twice in the span of, like, four days. Yeah. Yeah, those uh, snow days really kind of put a, a really interesting wrinkle on scheduling because we were running out of time. You know, the 
boys, like you said, played Thursday, then Monday. The girls here played home against Twin Falls Monday and then at Twin Falls Tuesday. So, I mean, they went back to back like they were playing a two out of three. So, yeah, the snow days really kind of made a mess of things. But, you know, it, it really makes it interesting, too, because you get to see really quick adjustments and see what teams are going to do um, if they learned anything from the first time. And what do they do differently? You know, and so, I mean, there is an interesting factor to it. But, yeah, that happened with Domenico Jerome, the one, two seeds right now in uh, the Great Basin. Yeah, so uh, the first matchup was actually the closer of the two. Jerome won 49-41, and then on Monday, uh, a little easier, 48-27. to I mean, what, what did you see in those games? Uh, what adjustments did Jerome make? Well, you know what? I tell you, I tell you the adjustment that was made was, you know, um, Revan Trinkle the first time around had 21 points over here. And, you know, Minico was a very uh, disciplined ball team in the sense that they like to limit possessions, you know, and so their their MO is really defensively limit possessions, but be efficient on offense. And that efficiency goes through Brevin Trinkle. And, and Brevin really couldn't miss over here. He was getting some great looks. He was getting contested looks. But there was something that needed to be done to control him a little bit better. Well, the first time around, you know, Jerome basically just hedged ball screens, you know, and they – found out that they were struggling with that just a little bit. So the second time around, boom, switched it all. And uh, I think Revan was held to four points after that on the second go-round. You know, and so he just never really got um, got the looks, you know. And so that was the big defensive adjustment that, that Jerome made. You know, and Minico is not going to be a team that's going to score a lot of points. And so if you get up on them, then they're going to have a hard time coming back. You know, it was an 18-11 score at the half, you know, at the half. And so everything was playing right into Minico's hands because that is the ugly style, low scoring that they want, you know. And, you know, it's funny because we just got done talking about the uh, the 40 winers. And, um, but that's that's them. I mean, you, you let them hang around, they're going to get you, you know. And I think Jerome knew that. And it almost came back and got him in the first game. But the second game, Jerome came out of the locker room and really put some distance between um, themselves and Minico. And so with teams like that, that just really kind of like to slow things down, get physical with you, ugly it up a little bit. You, you've got to get some separation because you let them hang around in the end, they will find a way. And that's why Minico is so good. Yeah. And now for Minico there, there's no time to really, you know, they've got to get right back into it because the Burley Bobcats all of a sudden are a game behind them in the loss column. And honestly, Mountain Home and Twin Falls are both a game behind Minico in the loss column as well. Minico, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon, early evening. Minico's got a big game tonight in Burley against the Bobcats. Yeah, there is still a lot of movement to happen in these rankings at the Great Basin uh, to sort out the seating. Right now, it's basically Jerome 1. And then who in the heck is going to be the number two? Uh, and, and like you said, tonight's game, I think, will, will tell quite a bit. You know, Burley, it, it, at one time we thought it was Burley, you know, and then Twin beats Burley. Okay, well, maybe it's Twin. Well, here comes Minico again. So I think those three teams right there are, are kind of jostling for position. But, you know, on the outside of that is, is Mountain Home, who's not a slouch. They haven't been able to get over that hump. 
but they're still capable of beating anybody in a district tournament. So uh, I, this is going to be really kind of fun to see how it all shakes out. Yeah, it's going to be two, two through five are pretty much wide open right now in terms mm-hmm. of seating. Uh, Canyon Ridge and Wood River uh, have sixth and seventh. Uh, they'll they'll be fighting for sixth and seventh there. Um, let's move on to more boys basketball. And a team that's been playing really well, kind of quietly as of late, is Oakley. They are they are undefeated in their conference in, in the 1A uh, D1 ranks. They are 4-0 in the league, 8-6 and six overall, which doesn't like jump off the page. But, man, they had a really big win over uh, the top 2A team, Ambrose. They won that game going away 65-46 to 46 last Saturday. Yeah, Oakley's one of those teams that uh, had a really good football season. And so it took a while for them to get adjusted. And, and so they, they did. They struggled just a little bit coming out of the gates. But, you know, they seem to be hitting their stride a lot right now. And uh, they are playing some really good basketball, even though they are uh, really inexperienced. They're bringing back one guy that has seen quality minutes uh, from last year. But, uh, you know, that Ambrose game was a good springboard for Oakley because they understand that Ambrose is just one of those schools that's just rich with, with the history and culture. And, and uh, it's, you know, hard to beat anybody. But I tell you what, Oakley shot the lights out of the basketball, which, you know, for a shooting team like Oakley, man, that gives them a lot of confidence moving forward, knowing that they can get hot at any time. And so when you have those teams – and they get hot once in a while, then they all know in the back of their mind that can happen again. But it's when you have those shooting teams that just don't have those breakout games and they still are waiting for it or still are waiting for it. It starts to kind of put that doubt in the back of your head too. It's like, maybe we're not ever going to catch lightning in a bottle. Oakley did. And, and I, and I see this pushing them forward, you know, in a positive direction. Yeah, Oakley played some really good uh, fellow 1A D1 teams early in the season. Victory Charter, Butte County, they lost both of those games. Um, but you mentioned it, the coming off a state championship football run, uh, the first couple games of the year aren't always indicative of how good a team is. In fact, Oakley started this year 1-4. and four, Yeah. And, and they, they have really been reeling. You know, they lost to Valley on Monday night, 56-50. to 50. That snapped a four-game winning streak for Oakley. So, I mean... Really what it's going to come down to in terms of the conference is Oakley and Lighthouse. Lighthouse is 3-1. and one, Oakley is 4-0. and oh. The first time they played, Oakley snuck out of there with a three-point win. It was 39-36. That was at Lighthouse. Oakley will get to host the Lions in the rematch uh, next Tuesday. Actually, in two weeks. Tuesday, February 8th. So we'll talk about that game as we get a little bit closer to it. But it certainly looks like those two teams right now uh, looking the best in 1A D1. Oh, yeah, for sure. And Oakley is just one of those other teams that's got the storylines behind it, too. You know, I mean, this is a team that practices at 5.30 every morning uh, because all five of their coaches are in the farm dairy feedlot work, you know, and so they're all taken off. So they all come in before work, you know, and, and this summer, actually, their sophomore shooting guard cut the tip of his finger off in a grain combine accident, you know. And so, I mean, think about that. The, the shooting guard cutting off the tip of his finger and yet – these are the tough farm kids that we talk about in these podcasts over and over and over again, eh, missing a finger. I don't care. <laughs> I'll still watch it up and make it, you know? And so, you know, they've had their, their share of, of, of struggles and, and tribulations over the course of the year. And any team that goes through that can come out looking 
so tight and so together. And Oakley is uh, just kind of one of those teams. I mean, they, they had a kid that was diagnosed with diabetes. And so now they're really trying to, to monitor him and his blood sugar at practice. And, you know, they had a, a, another young man that went in for like nasal tonsil surgery before Christmas and had some complications and an esophagus collapsed and, and they dang near lost him. And so, you know, this is an Oakley team that is got the stories behind it. And, uh, and, and they're coming out um, on the positive side of things. And so those are the things that are going to bring a team closer together uh, as people as well as teammates. And, and Oakley's got that going on right now, I think. Yeah, uh, that, that's really crazy. And they've, uh, they've got a, a coach, Cody Beck, who um, is, is pretty new to the position as well. Um, so you factor that in also, just another wrinkle for this Oakley team. So. Yeah. Yeah, boy, that 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 is a lot. We might have to do like an off-season deep dive into everything that was going on there at at Oakley this year. It sounds like a lot. Say what? We find the stories here, don't we? <laughs> yeah, you do. You you really you really know how to dig deep below the surface. Yeah, this is Cody Beck's first year as the varsity coach. He was the JV coach for ten seasons prior to that, but this is his first year in charge of the varsity program. So um, he, he's doing a great job uh, in year one here with. With Oakley, it's a young team too. Only three seniors, so they got a lot of sophomores that are playing for them. So, but uh, let's move to girls basketball now. And the big game everybody wanted to see, and you could have on IdahoSports.com last night was it was a non-conference game. The Burley girls hosting Preston. This was a rematch of the season opener all the way back in early November. Burley won that game uh, by nine, I believe. I'd have to double check for sure, but the rematch was good the first half and again i'm gonna be the one talking about this mostly scott because while i was there so it's still fresh in my mind i was just there last night so what a game uh oh go ahead scott oh i said tell me all about it yeah uh so it was a really defensive oriented affair in the early going there was there was a total of three fouls called in the first half and there was less than 10 fouls probably for the game well by the end of it, we probably got to like 11 or 12, but uh, it was uh, Preston with the lead after a quarter. And in the second quarter, Burley just kind of slowly started chipping away at the deficit. Both teams mixed up their defenses. They sat back in zone. They played man a little bit. The key play came right before halftime, Scott. Uh, Preston had the ball, turned it over with 10 seconds to go before halftime to give the ball back to Burley. Now, Burley had just tied the game at 18. They were down 18 to 15. Amari Whiting drove the lane, got a layup, and was fouled. Made her free throw, of course. Her three-point play tied it at 18. Preston, on their next possession, turned it over with 10 seconds to go before halftime. So, of course, you know who's taking the shot, Amari Whiting. Right before halftime, top of the key, contact comes out. She leans into it as she shoots the three, makes the three, gets fouled. And not only that, but the Preston coaching staff gets a technical foul for disputing the call this came with eight tenths of a second on the clock before halftime so amari whiting makes the three makes the free throw because she was fouled and then makes the two technical free throws it was a six point play with eight tenths of a second to go before halftime and so instead of 18 all at halftime 24 18 and that really swung it uh preston was never able to climb that mountain because both teams play such good defense that six point lead it was more like a 16-point lead. And they got close in the fourth, had had a couple of chances at the game-tying three, and it didn't go in. And 
Burley made made the plays they needed to down the stretch. Amari Whiting, 27 points, of course. Uh, her season average is 28. But the, the other key player, I thought, for Burley and the player that's going to be, I think, most important, because now we're talking big picture, right? It's, it's pretty clear. There's a top three in 4A. It's Burley, it's Preston, and it's Blackfoot, the defending 4A champs. They're still undefeated. And so the question is, Burley's beaten Preston twice. We know they can beat Preston. How would they match up with Blackfoot? Blackfoot has a tremendous post player, Hadley Humphreys, to the point where I've seen teams this year double-team her at the expense of leaving other players wide open for three. That's how much of a threat she is inside. So the key player to me for Burley is their post, Rowan Ontiveros. And she made two big baskets in the fourth quarter when Preston was was threatening to come back in the game. It was her only two baskets of the game, but they came in crucial times. One, she got fouled on. She missed the free throw. The other one was a little jumper from about five feet out that pretty much put the game on ice. And so Omari Whiting, of course, is, is the engine that makes this Burley team go. But when they get to state, Rowan Ontiveros is going to be the most important player, I think. Yeah, you know, oftentimes you see these, these teams with stars, and it doesn't come down to them, you know. Most of the time they're going to get theirs, but it's which role player is going to step up, you know, which one is going to have the career game to help Amari Whiting, which one's going to have the career game to help Humphreys from Blackfoot, you know, because all the attention and the scouting is going to go to those players. Well, who's going to step up, you know, and it's it's nice to see as a, as a coach you know, these last few games coming down the stretch in the district tournament to see bits and pieces of those role players step up and do different things because you're going to need it if, if you want to get through your district tournament and definitely if you want to get through state because, you know, you said it. You know, everybody's going to be double-teaming Amari Whiting when they get to state. Everybody's going to be double-teaming in the post-Humphreys from Blackfoot. What are the other matchups, you know? And uh, that's what's going to make the difference for both of these teams moving forward. It's not going to be Whiting. It's not going to be Humphreys. They're awesome the way it is. Who's going to step up? Yeah. And so uh, Burley won that game 41-34 to 34 over Preston. Um, their defense continues to just suffocate the opposition. Amari Whiting averages, you know, between six and seven steals a game. And as a team, you know, they're, they're in the double digits every single game with with steals. So they were really impressive. That was the first time I'd gotten to see Burley in person. Amber Whiting is a tremendous coach. She does a great job. After the game, the final buzzer went off. Uh, she went out to Amari, and they did a little chest bump. And you could tell they were fired up to, to get this big win over Preston. So uh, it was really fun. It was really fun to take that in last night. So yeah, that, that's an interesting family, too, because they are eat, drink, sleep, breathe, bleed, basketball. And there's – not a whole lot of lack of toughness, you know, from any of those guys. And, and, and I think that's a big part of why they're doing so well. I mean, most teams are just a reflection of their head coach a lot of the times too. And coach Whiting is just one of those tough girls that just won't take any crap and, you know, will face a challenge. And well, <clears throat> case in point, you know, early in the season, um, you know, there was some stuff going around and people were going to tease Amari in the stands because she's their best player. Right. And uh, I remember when they came over to our place and I wasn't going to let our student body say anything negative, but I went up to both separately 
Amber and Amari and said, hey, I understand what's going on. People are going to try to razz you a little bit throughout the course of this season. I'm not going to let my guys do this. But they said, why not? <laughs> why not? We should be able to back it up. You know, um, that's how we're going to get tougher. And I'm, I'm not encouraging anybody to do that. Don't. But what I am saying is that's her mentality. It's like, you know, we don't care. We are tough. And so, you know, we all saw a league of their own where it said there's no crying in baseball. That's kind of what it reminds me of. They are just tough. They get the job done. And uh, when you've got the two whitings on that Burley team, everybody else just sort of has to be like that. And that makes them tougher. So that's I, that's my opinion on Burley. Yeah, they're, they're awesome. Uh, 18 and one on the season. Actually, 19 and one after that win last night. 11 and 0 in conference. They have one final regular season game Thursday night at home against Twin Falls. A chance to finish undefeated in the conference ahead of districts. Uh, one more girls basketball matchup we got to talk about. It's one that's upcoming and it's a big one in the 1A D1 ranks. Oh, we're talking Oakley again. Oh, Oakley hoops. It's a great time to be a Hornet as they get ready to play raft river these are two teams i mean we've got a log jam at the top of this conference murtaugh eight and one raft river and oakley are both seven and two the caveat being oakley already has a win over murtaugh head to head which gives them a leg up in potential final standings but this is the final game of the regular season for both of these teams so yeah raft river and oakley battled to a two-point game first time around uh 36 34 was the final and I mean, you talk about a great rivalry game. This was a this was a game that that Oakley had a chance to tie in the last seconds. I mean, they stole the inbounds pass and then missed a layup, and that would have tied the game. So I mean, this thing could have turned out completely different. But uh, you know, this is set up to be another great uh, game for these guys. I mean, Raft River is quick and fast, and the thing for Oakley is they got to make sure they get back in transition defense. They cannot give up these easy baskets. And uh, that's, that's going to be something that Oakley is going to have to focus on because, you know, Raft River is very tough on the glass and they would like to rebound and they like to run and they like to get out. And Oakley has got to do a couple of things. And when you get teams like that, that's hard to compete with sometimes because it almost feels like you're giving up something. Are you going to give up the rebound and get your butt back in transition or are you going to commit yourself to the glass in hopes to stop transition going the other way? It's almost a pick your poison, you know, and, and Oakley realizes that. And that's kind of one of the things they're going to have to focus on in this next game. Um, but it should be a, a great game, you know. And, and one of the things that uh, the Oakley coaching staff alluded to is, like, we can't send to the free throw line either. They're a good free throw shooting team. So, I mean, this is a Raft River team that's pretty solid. But, uh, again, Oakley's matched them, and uh, this should be another great ball game. That district tournament's going to be a lot of fun. And it's at Jerome High School. It starts on Monday, January 31st. And between Murtaugh, Raft River, and Oakley, only two teams get to go to state. There's going to be a really good team stuck at home. Yeah, there, there really is. I mean, when you look at these teams, I mean, yeah, you hit the three. Somebody isn't going to go. And it could be it could be any one of them. You know, and that's what is so much pressure on this. A lot of times you get these you know, district tournaments, you have a pretty good idea who's going to go. You know, it might whatever, but every once in a while, you're going to get somebody sitting home that probably could win a few games at state. And, and I think this conference has that one team that's going to sit home who probably could do some damage at state. 
And I would say whoever gets that number one seed maybe dodges the bullet because they'll get the four seed uh, while two and three will have to play each other in the semis. But right now, Shoshone is the four seed, and they've got a, a wily veteran coach in Tim Chapman, a guy who's been to state a lot <laughs> over the years. So I, I don't think that's necessarily, you know, an easy path either. No, definitely not. Definitely not. This this tournament, I'm, I'm excited to host it. I'm excited to see these teams play. Um, it should be a lot of fun because it's going to be a very intense atmosphere. You know, they're used to filling up those tiny gyms, uh, and now they're going to get to the kind of a bigger stage here at Jerome. Um, and I, I have no doubt they're going to fill those things up as well. That should be so much fun. Yeah, that's going to be a, a lot of fun. Um, okay, so uh, let's wrap up the podcast this week with the hot topic. And and by the way, uh, all of our listeners out there, uh, we've brought in back we've brought back uh, our message boards on IdahoSports.com. Sportsboards.com. This is where the fans can go and trade ideas, maybe the occasional smack talk, have a little fun. Uh, this was huge back in the day at uh, yeah, sports.com. And then it kind of got taken over by spam bots and kind of became a graveyard while well, we went in and cleaned it up. Uh, I'm a moderator of the forums now, so I, I get in there and get rid of the spam right away. And we're having some really good conversations. It's sportsboards.com. There's also a link to it on the homepage at idahosports.com right across the top of the homepage. Um, so we want to see everybody get back in there and, you know, mix it up a little bit on the message boards. Uh, but the big topic going on at the sports boards right now is the shot clock, right? Uh, coaches have been clamoring for it. Fans have been clamoring for it. Some coaches and fans say we're good without it. Um, Montana just uh, announced that they are going to begin the implementation of a shot clock. Utah is going to do the same. Um, and so my question to you, Scott, I figured this will be perfect because you're an athletic director, a former coach, and you are in contact with a lot of coaches in your day to day. What's what's the temperature like for, for a shot clock in the state of Idaho? And, what, and what's your personal opinion on it? Well, you know what? The people that I've talked to, it has been a mixed bag. You know, and a lot of it depends on kind of their background, where they're coming from. I mean, people that have maybe have coached elsewhere that have come into Idaho they're obviously going to lean towards the shot clock and it's more kind of get with the times type of thing. And, you know, there's arguments on both sides. I mean, some of the arguments in favor of the shot clock is that um, the 10 second violation in the backcourt is going to be easy to call, you know, shot clock starts on time. It's 10 seconds. You're not over phone. You're done, whatever. Um, so there's that. Um, they, they talk about speeding up the game a little bit, you know, um, that's been, a point of contention as well. But the thing about it is you have to look at it from not a fan's perspective. And what, and I'll tell you this from a basketball commissioner's standpoint, the ones I talk to, they don't want it. They, they don't want it. And that kind of surprised me a little bit because I, I, well, I really didn't know where they, where they stood. But, but they're looking at it through a completely different lens. I mean, they're not looking at it from a, a fan standpoint. You know, it's going to be obviously cost and where all these, where's the money coming from, for starters? You know, if, if we're going to implement all these things, yeah, maybe the five A's, four A's can absorb um, a few thousand dollars to implement these things. Where are the one A's going to come up with that money? Where are the two A's? You know, and we're talking about, the small schools, I mean, small as they get, I mean, they're going to be required to do it. 
So there better be a plan in place that says how this is going to happen versus, yeah, it should happen. Okay, how? That's the question that needs to be answered, you know, because aside from the cost of just the hardware itself, who's going to run it? Okay. Um, who are you going to train to run it? Are you going to get, uh, I mean, we already know that we're shortage of workers everywhere and we're dragging in mom and pop and whomever else that wants to volunteer to run the score clock and the scoreboard and take tickets. And so who's going to do this? And then are they going to be trained enough to consistently do it? You know, um, I was talking to somebody that was at a, a pro game and they had three separate occasions that at a pro game, they had to stop and fix the shot clock. Can you imagine what's going to happen in high school? We talk about speeding up the game. If we have constant malfunctions or we have not properly trained people on this, we're going to slow the game down. You know, I mean, and that's the argument against it, you know, but you know, then there's this other neutral argument as well. That's like, is it necessary? So go look at a game and see who is holding the basketball. If you have a shot clock, it's going to favor the less talented, or if you have a shot clock, it's going to favor the more talented teams because they're the ones that are more offensive minded, that play a little bit quicker, that have a little bit, you know, more weapons in their arsenal. If you don't have a shot clock, conventional thinking says it's going to favor the least talented team because they can limit possessions, right? So there's arguments on both sides, but when you boil it down, how many teams are actually getting a shot off past the shot clock 35 seconds or whatever it is it's going to be, right? How many teams are actually holding the ball that long? Not many, not many, you know? And so coaches these days are so trained and drilled to get kids to the next level a lot of times. They don't do that by holding the basketball and taking air out of it. They do it by getting the ball through the rim. You know, they, they get the ball up and as many shots as they can get. You know, so if you want it, great. It's from a fan's perspective. Um, if you don't want it, I don't think you're going to miss anything. I, I really don't. I mean, I'm old school, you know, but uh, my personal opinion, you ask me as a fan, it would be kind of fun. You ask me as an athletic director and somebody that's practical, you show me how it's going to work first. And you show me all that money. You show me the training. You show me those things. And then maybe I'll get on board. Because I think that's where you're separating the argument. Fan, administrator, commissioner, coach. The fan's got a completely different viewpoint. So there it is. And and, and okay. And up and down, up and down the, uh, the the ranks that I've talked to, it's just mixed. It's truly mixed, and they all have the same arguments, and none of them are wrong. You know, so we'll see what happens. No easy decision, that's for sure. Uh, my two my two main points, I said I would say I'm slightly in favor of it, but along the same lines as you, we have to figure out the financial part of it. And know that this isn't something that can happen next year, right? It's not going to happen. Schools have to have time to build this into their budgets, right. figure out how they're going to get it in, that sort of thing. Um, I do think that if other states are implementing it and Idaho doesn't, um, 
those kids that are trying to get to the next level could fall behind a little bit. Yeah. It's not going to impact the high end players, but it's going to impact the players that are trying to go to like an NAI school, right. Or, a, or a D three or a D two. Um, yeah, that, that, that was one of the arguments too. And it's like, well, you know what? Those players will adjust if they're that good and their game is that good to go to the next level. They'll adjust just fine. You know, um, and you want to talk cost? Well, you know, if we're going to get shot clocks mandated to us, then why doesn't the IHSAA pay for it with all the money they're getting from the network? Bingo. That, and that's my, the, the IHSAA, I think, could step in and help assist the schools with this. You know, I've talked about for a long time, the travel component um, for the state of Idaho. Uh, we're getting off topic here, but uh, I did a football game in the playoffs. Grangeville was playing West Side. And, and I was talking to the Grangeville coach before the game. And he said, you know, if we win this game today, we've got to turn around and come back down next week and play Bear Lake, which is, you know, not very far from West side. He said, if we, if we win this game, we've already come to West side and we have to go to Bear Lake next week. He said, we're not going to have enough money. We're not going to be able to afford to come down here. And that's where I think that the IHSAA could maybe help out with some of those travel expenses since it is a playoff format. Um, that they are responsible for creating. I, I know in other states they help out a little bit with travel costs, especially over the course of a long trip. In Montana, everywhere is a long trip, so, so they help out. They help out with that a little bit more. So, but I agree that's something the IHSA could definitely assist some of those other schools in implementing the shot clock. The other thing I think would help a shot clock would help is the end of the game, where the last minute and a half takes 15 minutes because you are basically fouling and shooting free throws and making a basket and fouling and shooting free throws and then making a basket. Um, that's the one part I think could be cleaned up by it. If, if you have a shot clock, the team that's behind doesn't have to foul as early. Um, and the game, because it just takes the whole flow of the game away. You're just walking from one end of the floor to the other. And I don't like that. But. Yeah, you know, and, and, and there's truth to be told there, too. I mean, it will change the way that things are uh, strategized in the end. I mean, the whole shot clock itself could be fun. I mean, I know I sound like I'm talking out both sides of my mouth because I am. Until somebody shows me how it's going to get paid for in the train, blah, 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 I'm not on board. But if all of that were in place, I could get behind it because it could be fun. Because imagine – you know, in, in the shot clock, let's say the shot clock is, you know, 35 seconds, 24, you know, 24 in the NBA, 35 here, 40, whatever. Let's say all of a sudden your defensive philosophy is we're going to play man up and we're going to play zone up until like the 15 second mark. And then all of a sudden when that shot clock hits 15, everybody jump into man. You know, it, it gives you a different element of, of coaching philosophy um, as well. And those things could be fun. You know, so if it ever does get implemented the right way, then, yeah, it does have some elements that, that could be fun to watch for a fan. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll uh, maybe we'll circle back and revisit this topic in the spring, and maybe we'll see if the IHSAA has made a decision one way or the other uh, by springtime. But for now, yeah. we'll just uh, sit back and enjoy what we got, which is awesome basketball in the Magic Valley. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to, uh, you know, you've just, you've, you've absolutely jinxed your team by bringing this on this. Here's the LA Rams ha helmet again. Dude, we, we have lost our last six to the 40 Whites. I, I think I'm doing everything I can to make it not 0 and 7. So, 
whatever it takes. Right. Uh, I do. I do think the 49ers are really banged up right now. And if they, if they win again, it won't be because they beat the Rams. It'll be like the Packers. The Packers basically gave the 49ers the game and it'll be a similar. The Rams will have assisted in that 49ers victory. If that makes sense. Yeah. Kind of like they almost did with Tampa. Yes. Just about. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. What a fun game that was though, for sure. So all right, that'll do it for this edition of the Magic Valley Prepcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, district basketball. We'll be talking girls postseason hoops next week, so uh, stay tuned for that. For Scott Burton, I'm Brandon Bainey. We'll see you next time on IdahoSports.com.